Hello and welcome to the second edition of the Fest Fringe Festival podcast. I'm your host, Peter Gagan, and in the studio with me today we have Fest Magazine editor Ben Judge. Hello. And we have Evan Beswick, also from Fest Magazine. Hello. And on today's programme we're going to be talking about puppets, and puppets on the fringe. And today we're going to be talking about Boris and Sergei's um, vaudevillian adventure. Well done. <laughs> The Trench and the Great Puppet Horn. And we're also going to be having a quick roundup of what's the best we've seen on the fringe so far. There's been a lot of puppets on the fringe this year. There's been some big shows that are featuring puppets. There's been Grit, The Fantasist. But on today's show, we're going to be talking about Boris and Sergei, The Great Puppet Horn, and The Trench. Now, Boris and Sergei's uh, vaudevillian adventure is. Brought to us by Flabbergast Theatre Group, and it's Boris and Sergei, two Eastern European conference tricksters who also happen to be faceless leather Biraki puppets. Uh, Evan and, and Ben, you've both gone to see this show. Evan, what did you make of it? I thought it was, it was just really good fun. It was uh, the novelty of seeing puppets with absolutely foul mouths. It's, uh, it's quite a you know, nice little conceit, these, these confidence trickster puppets going around uh, abusing audience members. Um, so yeah, it's, it, I guess it's primarily good fun. Yes, because they bicker and they curse throughout it. It's, it's quite a sleazy show. It's not exactly kind of wholesome puppet entertainment. Mm. No, I think the um, the Flabbergast Theatre Group, they've got a really good aesthetic with the whole thing. Um, you've got these two puppets who are only about a foot tall and they're made of leather. They have absolutely no features. They've got these tiny little spindly arms. but And they're also, they're kind of dwarfed by these fully grown human puppeteers. And so... Multiple... Multiple, yeah, there's six of them. Um, six of them to these two wee puppets, and so you think, well, these these people are going to get in the way of that. But in fact, they almost completely vanish with the kind of scale of the puppetry. So you've got this kind of brilliant aesthetic, this kind of really beautiful way of getting the puppets to move, and you've got that combined with just this foul-mouthed, dirty, kind of bickering puppets. Yeah, yeah, so it's, it's, it's quite an elegance to the way they move, isn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely beautiful, absolutely great. But if if a, uh, if your kind of idea of puppets was the Muppets or um, Zippy and Bungle on Rainbow, shock. <laughs> you really are, aren't you? But I think that's part of the that's, that's part of what, what makes it interesting. It's taken a, an art form that's uh, uh, traditionally been in the realm of children's TV and uh, you know family entertainment and giving it a bit of an edge. And um, yeah, they certainly do that. It's 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 funny. It's bawdy. It's uh, it's you know it's quite witty in places. There's a strange cover of Kate Bush. Yes, that's um, strange. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I would say that the part part of the last kind of the the aesthetic of this whole show of the kind of vaudevillian puppets of kind of taking these puppets and putting them in a you know sleazier context. It's a, it's a kind of it's a conceit that works for about twenty to twenty five minutes of the show. Um, my I mean we. We sent one of our reviewers, Sean Bell, to go see um, Boris and Sergei, and he absolutely loved it. But I think he loved it because of the aesthetic. Um, my concern with it, I probably wouldn't have thrown so much weight behind it, is that in terms of its substance, there isn't a huge amount there. I think that um, once you kind of get over the fact that these are two puppets who are swearing each other and bickering, there's not much to it. There's not much in the way of plot. There's not really much in the way of character development. I and mean, it is beautiful and it's really skillfully done, but I felt it was a little shallow. Oh, I think I disagree with you to an extent there. I think there's a really interesting theme running through about uh, uh, these puppets sort of steadily realizing who controls them, and there's and they they only kind of about forty minutes in notice that there's they're being controlled by these 
by this this group of people and they start to have a dialogue with them as well so I think there's there's more about puppetry and the nature of puppetry performance there than and you may be giving it credit but I, I, I tend to agree that there are points where uh, maybe the the medium overtakes the message and it's and the, it's about the the puppetry rather than filling the show with but, I mean that, that, that's my point I mean I do think that that, that kind of the idea of the self-awareness of the puppets and almost kind of breaking down the third wall, although I guess it's the or the fourth wall even, but it's the back wall, so it's, yeah. I'm not sure which of the, the four walls that, that particular <laughs> one is. But um I would say I would still say that was part of the aesthetic, that was still part of the of the of the facade of the show. In terms of substance, in terms of what it's saying about about the world, it's not really got a huge amount in it. <laughs> discussion there about the plot and character development in Boris and Sergei but I think it, we can all agree that one show that really has a strong uh, plot and character development is The Trench the new um, production from L'Enfant uh, Terrible which is really is set in France during World War One. and uh, Evan you've been to see it, see it. Uh, what, what exactly is the, the background story to this play? Um, well since it's the story of a miner who signs up, he's, he's an older fella so he, it takes him a few attempts to, to sign up and he's sent to, to France and he uh, is involved in the tunnelling under the trenches um, in World War One. and he um, develops a friendship with another fella, a uh, younger fella and um, just as um, he gets an incredibly sad letter uh, which tells him his wife and child back home have, have died, the, the tunnel they're in crumbles and what that takes you on is uh, what's a, a kind of psychological or, or mythical, mystical adventure uh, in it. You presume in his own mind, where he's, he's set a series of quests by this grotesque puppet goblin, um, and it, it explores the, the ruinous effects of men's minds uh, uh, in the fields of France, and, and, and it does so through this um, incredibly kind of um, otherworldly medium with the puppets and I think where where the trench really differs to Boris and Sergei is there's no point at which the puppetry or the the stage business it's an incredibly ambitious production there's a lot going on on stage there's no point at which that becomes uh, more important than the message it's trying to trying to give which to me I thought was, was pretty incredible. Is there any danger in using things like puppets so heavily that you you can the, the focus can become on the medium of the puppet as opposed as, as Evan is talking about as the message. Well, I think good writing shines through regardless, and I think when you've got an idea, when you've got something to say, the way in which you say it becomes secondary. Whereas when you kind of aren't necessarily trying to engage with anything beside the kind of central aesthetic of what you're doing, that's when the kind of medium overtakes the message. And I think that. Um, it's not inevitable, no. I think in the same way that um, you could use music in a play, you could use dance in a play. People are able to suspend their imaginations or suspend their disbelief and really run with it. And so there's no reason why someone can't imagine a puppet to be a real person in the same way that they imagine a person to be a real person. Um, it's all about that kind of dramatic dialogue between audience yeah. and I think there's also something more than that in using puppetry uh, in the and you, just, you can suspend your disbelief to an extent, but there's always a distance between the puppet and a real person. There's always something slightly uh, uncanny in kind of the, the Freudian sense about this this thing that moves slightly strangely. It moves like a human, but not exactly like a mm. human. So the, the, in the trench, the puppets, they move um, uh, 
particularly the, the, the goblin puppet or the, the kind of figure of death puppet, he moves ever so strangely, but but human-like enough for you to, to, to suspend that disbelief. So yeah, it's a fascinating medium. And you mentioned music as well. I think that's the other thing about the, the Trench. It has a fantastic original soundtrack. And while it's probably not my cup of tea as a piece of music, it actually works really well in the context. It's quite, it's quite modern, um, which really is nice to see in a, in, a, in, a, in a play about the First World War where quite often we're bombarded with recordings of Vera Lynn and, 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 and attempts to, to shift these ideas into the past. It's not, it's, it's, it's really present. It's, it's kind of up to date and the message remains important. And also with the trench, you've got this uh, script that's very, very strongly influenced by modernism. It's quite a very powerful script. It isn't, as you say, it isn't a nostalgic script. It isn't harking back to some some era with kind of uh, sepia-tinged era. It, it's 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 quite it zings. It's quite strong and very and very modernist text. Yeah, I think modernist is absolutely the right word. It it, it does kind of, uh, it's it, it delves into the the, the minutiae and, and and in many ways the kind of disgustingness of life and the trenches. It's it's kind of quite, uh, it's quite bitty. It's quite quite fragmentary and and, and also but also quite poetic and epic at the same time. It's really it's a really clever script and and it really is built solidly around this, uh, this Odyssey narrative, and I think it blows it up to those proportions quite appropriately. I guess from from kind of a very serious and very uh, thoughtful kind of uh, piece of theatre like The Trench, there's uh, another kind of piece of puppetry that's on the fringe at the moment, it's a great puppet horn, and I guess the clue is in, is in the title. <laughs> uh, I went to see this quite recently and I must say I enjoyed it quite a lot. It's a satirical kind of piece of comedy slash theatre uh, coming from... Um, Jer- uh, Jeremy Bidgood and Lewis Young, who are from uh, Pangolian's Tea Time Company, and it's really is it's, it's a sketch show with a kind of a, with a white screen and the first use of a projector I've seen since I was in maths class when I was about fifteen. And the two ca- the two uh, performers really they've got a lot of energy to them, and some of the gags do work really well. There's a lot of political stuff in it, so it's very much kind of using puppets in a political kind of contemporary satire setting. So there's lots about the coalition. Although the funniest of all their characters is a guy called Grammar Cop, who's basically like a typography's answer to Robocop. He goes around <laughs> with a, looking, looking to to beat up a apostrophe man. And uh, so it is quite a few. But it, it's again, I think it's quite a creative use of of puppets in a way that we haven't really seen. There's been a bit of discussion about in our last pod as well about where stand up is going at the moment. This fringe, the most interesting stand up acts. I think it's probably fair to agree have been. Or the most interesting comic acts haven't been stand-up acts. They've probably been the likes of Dr. Brown, the boy with tape on his face. The great puppet horn isn't up with those kind of great acts at the fringe. But it's a very entertaining hour, and it's also very creative and innovative, which even if the, some of the punchlines aren't that well-realised and the gags don't always quite work, and sometimes the politics is a little bit heavy uh, in terms of like climate change, although Billy the Bipolar Bear is, is quite a nice character <laughs> too. Uh, but there is something in using, trying to be a bit different, that maybe... I don't know how you guys feel about this, that about the kind of traditional stand-up at the fringe is something like puppetry and other kind of means. Well, Sammy J and Randy um, was one of our reviews in the last issue of Fest, and they got four-star. And they've been going for quite a long time now, and that might be closer to ventriloquism. Well, actually, no, it's not, it's not ventriloquism, it is puppetry. Mm. There is a ventriloquist in the way, which kind of defeats <laughs> the ventriloquy point. Um, but I think that... I mean, in exactly the same way as we were talking about in the last the last podcast, it's not necessarily about um, taking things in a new direction. Rather, it's just about 
being able to diversify, being mm. able to kind of bring in new influences, bring in some innovative kind of staging. I mean, we've, we've had an awful lot of puppet shows that have been really well reviewed this year in both comedy and theatre. And is that going to start off a new trend whereby come next year, everyone's going to have puppets incorporated into the show? That'd be silly. Instead, what we're seeing is people kind of experimenting, and that's quite exciting. And Yeah, I think there's something about using it as part of um, a broader idea rather than just a, a standalone. Because I guess there's, it's not a it's not a new idea, and you've got that tradition of, of ventriloquism where the, the the puppet is the stooge that enables the comedian to say outrageous things that he can maybe get away with. And I think uh, we've seen something more um, slightly more thoughtful than that. I mean, Sammy J and Randy, you've got that that dialogue, but I think it's a it's I think anyone who sees it would say it's it is that traditional ventriloquist. Uh, sort of smutty comedian act. It's a, uh, it's a lot different, a lot more thoughtful. It, uh, I think um, the puppet has more of a fleshed out personality than you'd expect from, you know, your seventies club act. So yeah, I think there's people doing interesting things. And like Ben says, everyone has a puppet next year. Then we'll revisit this podcast <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and slate it all. But I think at the moment it's quite an interesting and and and, and novel things that people are doing. I guess that brings us nicely on to our our final conversation topic for the afternoon, which is um, what's the best things we've seen so far at the Fringe. Obviously, the awards are judges are starting to make some of their minds up about awards. Maybe there's you know the, the big tips are are getting sold out. People are kind of talking about who's gonna win, who's gonna take what gongs at the end of the year at the end of this year. So I guess maybe it's a good point before our kind of final round of podcast next week to kind of think about. What's been the standout so far for, for you guys? Ben, what have you seen that you've really been impressed by? Well, I guess it's a kind of difficult one to second guess what the judges are going to do. And I guess it's also kind of quite important to bear in mind the criteria for the Edinburgh Comedy Award. It's not open to absolutely everyone. It's open to people who haven't had a TV slot to rely on, who haven't so, who can't sell out on the back of their own name. Um, venues have more than 500 seats, I think it is. So that, that, that does rule out quite a few... You know, particularly big ones, and there's slightly more arcane rules for the best newcomer. Mm, newcomer yeah, as well. Yeah. So, say someone like the boy with tape in his face who's playing to quite a large venue, he might be ruled out by the strength of his reputation. Whereas someone like Doctor Brown who's playing to maybe a hundred people, he is very much in the running. And given how well received he's been, certainly by the critical press and certainly by us, I would hope that he would at least have a nomination. But in terms of the winner, it does tend to be a little safer in terms of who wins. Um, last year's Adam Rich's Adam Rich's won. He was great. He was audience participation, but that was kind of as a result of four or five years of, you know, really honing these characters. And I think Doctor Brown might be a little bit too left field to pick up. I think, um, and I guess being too left field would apply to someone like Paul Foot as well. Paul Foot got a five star review from Fest in this upcoming issue, and he is just exceptional. I saw him briefly at the Underbelly press launch, and he blew everybody away. And he is very esoteric and he's quite alienating, but the way in which he seems to have honed the craft is incredible. But in terms of who I think might win, I think Nick Mohammed is in with a shout. He's our cover feature for this issue and by all accounts his show is quite special. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I hate to admit it, I tend to agree with what Ben says there. I think uh, those are uh, the the handful of people who are, who, are, who are getting a bit of buzz about them, Dr. Brown particularly. And I think, you know, I think the, the, the award judges aren't daft and I think they can see kind of really interesting and quality things and actually I think if you look at the history of the awards they've often picked stuff that translates quite well to TV I think 
Doctor Brown might well translate to TV. Um, I think it'd be. No, see, I think this is where we disagree. I think Doctor Brown is very much part of a live culture, and I think that something is lost by watching him do stuff to other people without the risk of him doing stuff to you personally. And so I, I think that whilst it might work, I, I think all of its edge would be completely lost transferred to TV, which is why I think he might not. I mean, he might get a nomination, and that would be wonderful if he did, but I can't see him winning. I guess all will be revealed soon. When? When are the award? I think the, the nominations come out this week. It's usually kind of midweek, and then there's the announcement on Saturday or Sunday. Yeah. And I, I guess we've also got the best newcomer to consider as well. Mm. Um, I think... That's a, that's a difficult one again because knowing who's in and who's out of the running by virtue of the rules is another uh, tricky question but certainly from what I've seen um, I'd be very surprised if uh, Trevor Noah who's a South African comedian uh, wasn't nominated he was, I was really impressed with him he's a, uh, got an incredibly interesting story he was born under apartheid to a, a white mother and a, uh, sorry a black mother and a white father um, so as he puts it quite eloquently he was born a crime, uh, which gives him incredible backstory, and he uses that for, for uh, great material on on race and racism. So, yeah, he's a. Uh, I'd be very surprised if he doesn't get a nomination. Thanks for listening, everybody. We just want to quickly say thank you to Hollywood Prior who have given us the loan of their wonderful studio here in Leith uh, for our pod. And they can be found at www.hollywoodprior.co.uk. And of course, we have to say thank you to our podcast maestro, the producer Lewis, who you can find at Capture Media. And uh, he's, he's the man who's making this podcast happen. And thanks to you for listening and tune in next week. Secret Comedy Podcast with Susan Kalman. Welcome back to Amnesty International's Secret Comedy Podcast, live from the underbelly with me, Susan Kalman. Talk about human rights, but you made us wait out in the car park for 40 minutes before we came into the show. I'll edit that out. No, I have a strong accent, sorry about this. Uh, I mumble quite a bit as well, so... Um... Too long you get anywhere I know. <laughs> when I first realised I was a feminist right. was when I saw the Yorkie ad and it said, It's not for girls. That's when I first realised I was a lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Londoner. Are you understanding what people say to you? No. But I do understand this. <laughs> Was a sheep? Was <laughs> Thanks for coming. Thanks for listening. I have been and will remain Susan Cowan. Amnesty's Secret Comedy Podcast.